Well, good morning and happy new year to you. Man, that was some introduction, I tell you. You know, you, you get, you know before you speak, you're intimidated by the introduction, you know. <laughs> well, I know I'm on the phone this morning because God is with us. Well, I'll say it now. Happy new year to you all. And it's an honor and a privilege to, you know, to speak, I suppose, the first year of the first, was it were, first, yes, first Sunday of the, the new year. And I've been thinking about this message since Chris kind of said to me, well, you know, then it would be really good if you could uh, do a new year for me. And I'm thinking, okay, right, what's, you know, what's God putting in my heart? And it was as we were praying for our building next door, and I think it was a Wednesday, and we were praying, and we needed to get a breakthrough. And the Lord just dropped this scripture into my heart. Jeremiah 33, 33, 33, 3, that call upon me and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. And at that time, we, you know, we're still going to see if we're going to get, we're going to get that building. If God's got it for us, then it's a done deal, right? But the reality is that we were there and saying, well, Lord, at that time, they were, you know, they were getting a little bit, well, I can't use that word. Um, <laughs> But they were getting a little bit cocky with us, I think it would be the right word. And they're telling us one thing and then another thing, et cetera, et cetera. But it came to us and we said, Lord, you say call upon me and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. I said, well, Lord, what are the great and mighty things that you want to show us? If you didn't give us that building, maybe you want to give us a campus. Mm, yeah. Why not, you know, something like Willow Creek where we've got this whole lot of life. You see, because God is great and mighty. Now, the funny thing is here, I had a real good introduction here all lined up, but it's like gone to pot. But the reality is this, that God wants to do great and mighty things this year. Things that you and I have not seen or not heard. Now, when I came now to start to study and prepare the message, I said, well, let me look a, li a little bit at the background of Jeremiah. Oh, my goodness me. When you look at the background, Jeremiah is the prophet that God sends to the southern kingdom to basically tell them, you are going into captivity, and the Babylonians are going to come, and they're going to destroy Jerusalem, and they're going to destroy the temple, and you lot are going to be taken off into exile. And the people in Israel, Jerusalem, are like, are you mad? Get real. Do you think that God would allow his temple to be destroyed by a foreign power? In fact, they were so upset with him, they threw him in a, in a well, they wanted to kill him, etc. But he had a message which was counterculture. And what was going on in, this, in Jerusalem, Judea at that time, because by this time, the northern kingdom had already been taken into exile by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were the world power at that particular time. But they were waning, and the Babylonians were coming up. So, it's like the people in Judea had their heads in the sand. They didn't see what happened to the northern kingdom. Like, that only happened in 722 BC. It was still kind of news. But they were saying, no, 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 God won't trouble us. You know, we can continue to worship the bells, that's the fertility gods. We can continue to give our kids to Moloch. We can continue to be idolatrous. Nothing will happen to us. And Jeremiah comes and says, no, you're going to be taken into captivity. And I said, well, Lord, I ain't going to preach that because that's really doom and gloom. But that was the reality at the time. But when we get down to Jeremiah 
33, or 30 to 33, this is God's word of hope to them. Because it's difficult for us to understand, you see, that particularly in the 20th century or 21st century, we see God just particularly in the church as a God of love. And he is. He is a God of love. But you see, he's also a God who is moral and he's a God who has just, a God of justice, which means that if we as his people fail to live the way that God intends, then he will judge us. And here's something that is very uncomfortable for me, which I'm sure is uncomfortable for you, that God would use an ungodly nation like the Babylonians to discipline his people. He's already done it with the Assyrians. He's now going to do it, use the Babylonians to discipline his people. Not nice. But you see, they were idolatrous. They worshipped other gods. Now, you and I now might say to ourselves, well, you know, we are in the 21st century. We don't worship idols, you know. You know, we're sophisticated. We're intellectuals. We are children of the Enlightenment and all of that stuff. You know, we listen to Radio 4 and we listen to the chattering classes and we listen to the intellectuals and we don't believe in anything supernatural or anything that cannot be proved empirically or scientifically. Well, let me tell you something. That stuff will lead a nation to a place where God has to judge them. Because you know why? Because they want to do it on their own. There is a God in heaven who will judge everything that we do. Whether we are in the West, intellectual, secular, have removed, the, as it were, the church and the state and all that stuff. But there is, outside of the West, the power of God is moving where because those people understand that there is a realm, there is a dimension of the spirit that controls this realm, that God is ruling over. And even though we in the West, with all our intellectualism and all our, uh, our loving of the enlightenment, think that we can do it without God, God will make us fail so that he can bring his church and demonstrate to the world through the foolishness, yes, of a group of, of the church, which is foolishness to many people, but through a group of people like you and my, I, who have been redeemed, and bought through Jesus, his son, and been empowered by his spirit, and we can go out into that community there and demonstrate that you can't do it without God, and because we are created beings, and he is the creator, and when we get in line and stay in that place where we look to him and depend on him, he can actually start to do stuff. Now, this is important because, you see, May we have an election. We cannot tell you who to vote for. It is not allowed. We are a charity. And do pray about who you vote for and all of that stuff. But friends, we're not putting our confidence in the political party that wins. Our confidence is in God. Because God rules in the affairs of men. You see, when you read your Bible, don't listen to those people who say, oh, you know, the book is just full of myths, etc. Rubbish. When you read the Bible, when you begin to study it, when you begin to see how in 7 BC, 722 BC this happened, in 931 BC this happened, and at this time Confucius started, you realize how accurate and how the book is, particularly the Old Testament. When, if you like the Discovery Channel, 
Sometimes what they'll do is they'll look at wars BC and they'll look at biblical wars BC. And what is noticeable is this, that many of the professors, you know, they have no issue with the dates. The only issues they have is with the miracles because they can't work those out. This book is, the word of God is accurate. And what you see is this, that who is running things? Who's raising up one nation and putting down another? Who is moving this nation forward and putting that nation back? God's there all the time. He raises up Adirus. He, he puts down one king. You see, what's happening here? Nineveh was the most powerful, well, the series of most powerful face nation on the face of the earth at that time. And Nineveh, it says that the walls are so big that you could ride three chariots around it. And when God sends Jonah to, to Nineveh, and he says, look, you're, gonna, you're, you're coming to come under judgment. At least that particular king had enough sense to repent. But you know what? Nineveh was overtaken. It was destroyed by the Babylonians. And at the time, people were thinking, it could never happen. Yeah. Friends, God is still managing the fears of men. The history, as it's been written, God has his plan. And his plan is his church. Now I need to get to this text now. <laughs> uh, right, so here we go. So, if you want to, a type for this message, it's you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. Whatever God has done last year, whatever he's done in your life, you ain't seen nothing yet. So here's our text. Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So what's the first thing that Jeremiah says? He says this. God says to Jeremiah, call to me. What does this say? Well, <laughs> we've already said Israel failed to call to him. They sought comfort with worshiping fertility gods and all that stuff. And let me just say by way of comment, whenever we seek comfort or self-medicate with things that are not legitimate for us, these are idols. And I won't say anymore because I, I could develop that, but I won't. Friends, we all need comfort and they're legitimate things, but at any time we go to things that are not legitimate, they're idols. Because I need to say that so that we don't think that the people out there that were worshipping Moloch and worshipping Baal, that's not us. We worship him here, but it's more sophisticated in the West. It's still, we still do these things. Anyway, when we call upon him, what does it demonstrate? Well, first and foremost, our dependence on God, not our own resources. Our dependence on God and not our own resources. I am the Lord the God of all mankind, is there anything too hard for me? Friends, we're looking to buy that building next door. And maybe we'll buy the rest of the other stuff around here as well. You know, why not? You see, because God's resources, you see, we have to, you know, we have to, we've got, you know, you folk have given so generously, we bless God for that. We've had to put some finance together and, you know, the bank want to look to see if we're credible and all this stuff, right? And you get the impression at times that they're running things. Friends, I'm telling you, God, they are not running things. God's resources are not limited. He is the God of all flesh. And he can cause the king's heart to be turned one way or another. He knows that 
we, he has put it within our hearts to do things in this community, and for that, we need the building to do it. So don't you think that he will be able to release whatever needs to be released so we can get the job done? So never ever think that your circumstances are the measure of who God is, whatever's going on within it. Don't, Chris preached it and it was right. He said, don't judge God through your circumstances. Your circumstances, just because it hasn't come to pass yet, doesn't mean that God is not able to do it. And it's a judgment, we do, all, we do it all the time. We look around and we, if we can't touch it, if we can't feel it, we can't see it, we don't believe it. Like doubting Thomas. But you see, in the realm of the spirit, you see it first before it actually happens. God, it says, he brought into being the things that are not, although they already exist. Romans 4, 17. So before the world's existed, if God has a mind, it was in his mind. It was in his heart. Then he spoke it into being. That same creative power God has put within us. Be careful what you ask for. We can create things with the words that we say. Negative things as well as positive things. God's power is not limited. What does it also demonstrate? We're not leaning on our own understanding. Now, I have to say here that, you know, when God gave you a brain, in many cases, he gave you 99% of your guidance. However, one of the things we have to avoid is trying to work it out ourselves. Proverbs 3, 5, there, 6, if you've been around church a long time, you'll know this one. Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Why? Because our understanding is limited. We don't have the full overview. God is outside of time. He, he looks, if this was time, he looks at the time from the beginning and from the end. He can go to both ends of it because he's outside of it. So why would you lean on your own understanding? I, I have to you know, be autobiographical here. When my job when I was dismissed from my job all, uh, four or five years ago, it was this particular scripture that Fliss spoke out in a staff meeting, knew nothing about the situation. It spoke to my heart. And Isaiah 55, five, 55 as well, uh, 8 and 9. That our, God's, our, God's, our thoughts on our ways are not God's ways. His ways are higher than our ways. So we need to come to him. And as created beings, when we come to God and we call upon him, we step into place so we bring ourselves under him. Instead of being the creator, which is what the enemy wanted us to be, we become creatures who are created, looking to our creator to give us the wisdom and the insight so that we can be effective as his children in the earth. And in all your ways, submit to him. God wants to give you the best. He wants to give you the best relationally, emotionally, spiritually. And Louis, Louis who just did such a fantastic job last week, boy, it was a great message, which was an excellent backdrop for this message, that you might, for releasing your potential. God wants to release your potential. He wants to 
calls you to be the best you, you, you can be. I think it's the title of a book, John Ogberg. Now, don't all run to the bookstall and buy it. This <laughs> happened to me last time. I mentioned the book and everyone ran to the bookstall. But the thing is this, God wants you to be the best person that you can be. I just want to say, to some of you single people, particularly our ladies, we have some wonderful single young women here, godly women who love God and want to serve him. And all I would say to you is this, if you believe that God is calling to be married, don't settle for anything other than the best. Don't, Don't settle for something that is not the best. God has the best for you. He has a man out there for you, or a woman out there for you. And what I'm seeing sometimes is people put themselves into situations where, unless if God has called you and says, yes, this guy doesn't know Jesus, but yes, you know, you'd be with him because he's going to, through you, know him, great. But if you're not sure, hang in there. Because don't settle for less than the best, friends, because God has a plan for you. He has a plan to bring you and whoever that person is into his service. Don't compromise it. Don't give up. Don't settle for less than the best. Are you hearing me? Because my heart is, oh, friends, you know, to have someone who loves Jesus who the way you do is, is the best for you. And if you have to wait for it, it's worth it. So, Don't lean on your own understanding. It also demonstrates that we trust in his promises. God will have spoken things into your life that have not yet come to pass. And here's a verse here from Joshua, 21, 44 to 45. He's towards the end of his life, and God has made promises to them as they conquered the land. And this is what he says. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Now, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. Let me tell you that whatever it is that God has put in your hand, whatever promise he has given you, he will fulfill it because he's not a man. Amen. Amen. That he should lie. And has he not spoken and will he not bring it to pass? And I would encourage you that this will be a year for you to see God bring to pass and make incarnational, I flesh in your life, the promises that he has made to you. Yes? So trust in his promises. When we call upon it, it demonstrates growing faith in his word, not our circumstances. God speaks, Romans chapter 4 there, 20 to 21. The background is God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And things didn't look good circumstantially. He was old. The Bible said as good as dead. Right? Work it out. And his wife was old. So circumstantially, he has, the circumstance is this, but God's word is that. Now, if you read the story there from Genesis 12 through to 22, he grows strong in faith. He makes mistakes. He makes bad decisions. But ultimately, he gets to that place where God gives him the son of promise. And friends, what needs to happen is this. We need to be fully persuaded. Yeah, let me read it for you. Yeah, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. That was Abraham. But was strengthened in his faith. 
and gave glory to God. That word strengthened means he grew strong in faith. Being fully persuaded, and it was a process that what that God had the power to do what he had promised. And friends, it will be a process by which whatever it is that God has said, you will begin to believe it as he works it out. As we've been building this business, this, praying for this building, we've been going through a process. And it's been tough. But we are fully persuaded that what God has said to us, he will do. Yeah. Yes. And you see, he will do it because he's faithful. But we had to go through the process. Our faith has had to grow. We've been stretched. We've been pulled. It's been, yeah, Yeah, it's been tough. (laughs) And let me tell you, it's tougher for the pastor because he goes to bed at night with the whole feeling of the thing on his bed, on his shoulders, and it's half you to sleep. Yeah, most of us go home, you know, we're not thinking about the fact that we're leading this thing with over a thousand people and we're going to buy this building and, oh, you're not thinking about that. That's why you need to pray for him and for us. But the reality is we're being fully persuaded that what God has promised as we seek to reach out into this community with the love and the mercy of God, he is able to perform. And we're looking to see if we can sign up the deal on this thing by the end of this month and get busy doing the things that God has called us to do as a community. I'm enjoying this message even if, not, if you're not, I am. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, Lord, you help me. I gotta, I'm going to get a tape of this. <laughs> I need to hear this again, you know. <laughs> yeah. said, Which one are you going to? I said, the first one. <laughs> what else does the verse promise? if we call upon him. It says, I will answer you. So you're not coming to a God who's not gonna answer you. So, what does this mean? It means this, he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, risk, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and here it is, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we're coming to, we're coming to a God that, who says, if you come and seek after me, you will find me, and I will answer you. I will. What else does it mean? It also means... He is the I am who I am to any situation that you and I face. Because he will answer you. So whatever your situation is, I am. I will be who I will be to it. I don't know what you're facing. Whether it be financial, whether it be emotional, whether it be spiritual, whether it be relational. But whatever it is, when you come to him, he says, I will answer. If you come to me, I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things, but you need to come with that confidence and belief that he will answer you. I will answer you also means if we abide in him and his word abides in us, he will answer us. If we remain in me, that means, this is a place where, for me, abiding is simply, I live as a son. I live in that place where I know that I'm affirmed, where I know his affection, where I know his attention, and I know his advocacy. And I refuse 
to live out of the roles that I have to play. And we all have roles, pastor, teacher, husband, father. And to, to, to a greater or lesser extent, you're going to be good or you're not going to be good. And if you're looking for affirmation there from that, when you're great, you'll get it. And when you're not, you won't. But I'm learning to live in the other place where whether I'm good, bad, or indifferent, God loves me and he's for me. And I can know his grace and his mercy in those times when I fail, and I can get up and be and do what he calls me to be and do. Know that I don't have to perform to get his love because there's nothing I can do to get any more love than what he's done in sending his son for me. And all I want to be is a son working in the family business, knowing his goodness and his mercy, and by the grace and mercy of God, being empowered to be and do what he's called me to be and do. And I hope that's the same for you. Yeah, so let's remain in him. And let his word remain in us. And friends, that's a process where we are responsible to allow his word to get in us, read it, to meditate on it, to study it, and more importantly, to live it out so the word becomes flesh. You know, the theological word is incarnational. So you don't just know it in your head. Oh boy, head knowledge, it's a deadly thing. It's as the Holy Spirit begins to apply it to your heart and to your life and as you begin to walk it out and as you begin to know the truth and the truth begins to set you free. I must stop there because, you know, there's just so much here. All right. And what is the promise if we call upon him and we know that he will answer us? Well, he will show us, show you and I, great and mighty things that we do not know. There are things that are going to happen in 2015 that you don't know about, but if you call upon him, he says, I will answer, and I'm going to show you things that you could not imagine. I have not seen, neither ear heard the things that God has for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2, I think 9. So... This, I love this phrase here, it says, show you, because you know what that means? <laughs> it takes me down to one of Chris's favorite verses, Ephesians chapter 1, 17 to 19. You know, we know each other well, because it talks about God showing us that's revelation. Let me read it for you. I keep asking that the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. I pray that your eyes of your heart may be light, that you might know the hope to which he called you. Oh, friends, we want you to know the hope to which he called you. He didn't just call you to sit in church. He didn't just call you to pay the tithe. He didn't just call you to come along every Sunday and live the life of faith vicariously on a Sunday then disappear into the week. He called you for a purpose. Prepared beforehand that Lewis said that we might all walk in it. Something that's going to be that fits you perfectly. It's got your name on it and no one else can do it. And our purpose is to find out what it is and by his grace and his mercy walk in that. That's the hope that he wants to reveal to you and it's predicated on this. Will you call upon him? Will you call upon him? Because if you will call upon him, he says, I will answer you. And I will begin to show you the great and mighty things. Anyway, we'll go back to the text here that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I, if you need to understand that 
When God calls us as a people, he, he, he's purposed it that the character and the majesty and the, the, the mercy and the grace and the goodness that was demonstrated incarnationally through Jesus as he walked through the earth is now going to be demonstrated by a many-membered body in the earth called the church. We are it. He doesn't have a plan B. We are it. As we walk through St. Albans, as we walk through Dunstable, as we're in Crouch End, wherever it is, or for Hemel, wherever it is that God has put us, we are it. We are the exact representation of his nature, the church, living out the life of Christ as a many-membered body across many geographical locations. And his incomparable power for us who believe. We need to realize, we need to have that revelation of, of who we are and the power that God has invested in us so that the things that we allow into our lives that cause us problems, as we begin to begin to realize who we are and the authority that we have in the name of Jesus and we recognize the healing that we need, we get the healing and in the name of Jesus we begin to learn to stand in the authority of what we have and we begin to make those isms wasms in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Hmm, that was good, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you got some isms that you want to be wasms in the name of Jesus. Well, there is a process there. Yeah. You know, sometimes because of, of our brokenness and that, we, we don't recognize who we are. But God is going to cause us to rise up and be what we, God called us to be and do. Okay, let me move quickly now. So then, we need this revelation, the revelation to see the great and mighty things he wants to do through us in this community. He says, I will build my church to Peter and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we need a revelation of that. Chris was talking about there's some ground for us to take in this community. We need a revelation to see the great and mighty things he wants to do through us as individuals. Ephesians 2.10, I've already mentioned it. That he's prepared a good work beforehand that you should do. Now, friends, what is it that God has called you to do in this church? What is it that God has called you to do in your community? Find it out. A revelation to see the great and mighty things he wants to do through us to make his name known across the community and ultimately across the nations. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Now go and disciple the nations. Acts 1, 8 says that you will be witnesses in what? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. God's plan is that we're not just influential in Hertfordshire or even this nation, that God will cause us to be influential across the nations as we send out people in the name of Jesus, as we equip people, I'm running to my next text, but as we equip people for the work of service. We need a revelation to see the great and mighty things he wants to do through us as we equip the saints for the work of service. Ephesians 4, 11, 12. One of the wonderful things about being part of this team is that Chris and Fliss 
are committed to see, looking for those who are leaders and creating space for them and allowing them and mentoring them and allowing them to be released. It's been a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing, friends. That we understand that our role now, particularly, you know, our age 55, is not, we're looking to see who we can pass the baton on to, who we can find that God is working in so that we can help them through programs like the Restore to put the character in and then giving them the opportunity to develop the gifting so that they can be released. So the saints can be equipped for the work of service. We need a greater revelation of that as we call upon it. Revelation to see. Great and mighty things he wants to do through us as we feed the poor and provide resources in the community and further afield. And that's why we want the building. Yes? We need a revelation of that. And God might show us other things and how we can work in partnership with maybe other churches in the feed program that Carol kind of leads up there. And finally, we need revelation to see the great and mighty things he wants to do through us as we release his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The sick are healed, the dead are raised. I'm up for that, man. I want to see some dead, the dead raised. I don't know about you, you know, we have the service here and the, you know, and the coffin's there and then you know, the power of God comes down and up the body jumps and everybody runs. <laughs> but what would it, that, just, just think about that. In our community now, you know, we're having the service and the person gets raised from the dead. How are they going to report that one? Oh, that would be just something, wouldn't it? Well, why not? Because his power has not changed. We might have, but he hasn't. The captives have good news preached to them. And the depressed and brokenhearted receive joy and peace. That's the revelation of what we want. And that's why we need to call upon it, how we can be that kind of church more and more. We're there now. I want us all to stand now. Band, if you could come up, please, that would be fantastic. Thursday, the 15th of January, we have a call to prayer. And generally speaking, it's not attended as well as it would be as we are here now. But if all the things that we are talking about that God wants to do, that are great and mighty, are predicated on just the simple thing that, of simple request, call upon me, how's about with a church come out in force on the 15th. That's a Thursday, eight o'clock. And why don't we call upon him that he might do great and mighty things in us and through us? Because that's the challenge that I felt the Lord just put on us this, this morning, that we would not just have 20 people turn up or 30 people, but we would turn out as a church in force on that Thursday night and call upon God that he might do great and he might do mighty things in this community. That he might use us as his vehicle, as his instrument to bring blessing, to bring peace, to bring hope, to bring healing, to bring what we call redemption. And take back 
that which is rightfully ours that was stolen from us by the enemy. Chris was right on the money this morning. I'm thinking, oh, thank you, Jesus. And look, I'm going to put a little challenge to you. I'm going to say to you, we can all close our eyes. If you're prepared to come out on the 8th, now I know if you're away, busy at work, and you've, you've got to move away, except, you know, away, that's fine. But if you're prepared to come and call upon him, who says, I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. And you come out on that Wednesday night and we can fill this place up and we as a community of God's people we can begin to call down God's blessing on us and see breakthrough with that building and see God show us great and mighty things as we gather together. I'd like you to just raise your hand. That Wednesday night, right, or that Thursday, raise your hand. Yeah, raise your hand that you would come out and step out and come on that Thursday and pray with us. And it's not for specialist people. It's so that we as a community can, as it were, call upon him. Because he says, I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. Father, we come into 2015 with an expectation that you're going to do great and you're going to do mighty things through us as a community and as individuals. That as we, as your church, break down the gates of hell, we bless you that there's an army rising up. There's an army rising up in the land. An army of people drawn from every tribe and every nation. Born not of the will of man or of blood, but born of God. Who are living in the power of the Spirit. And know that authority that comes from him. And Lord, as you raise up this army, we ask you that as we call upon you throughout this year, you would do great and mighty things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen.